Good morning. Well, this morning we are going to commence our study from the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians is only six chapters. It probably takes you maybe less than half an hour to read through. But we're going to spend six months. Only six months. There are six chapters. We're going to spend three months, uh, twelve weeks, traveling through this book because this is a very, very important book. Letters. It is probably one of the first letter that Paul wrote. Uh, probably also just before the Jerusalem Council to deal with a with a very important issues of our Christian life. It is probably the most important, most fundamental, and most foundational doctrines of Christianity. It deals with how are you saved? How are you saved? That's an important question. If you if you embrace a religious faith in a sense, you have to answer the question: How are you saved? So we're going to deal with this, and and if you read through the book of Galatians, six chapters, the theme is freedom in Christ. The theme of the entire book is freedom in Christ. So as you read, you must have that theme in your mind that the Paul is writing concerning freedom in Christ. The word freedom conjures up all kinds of meaning nowadays, but I think most of the time when we think of the word freedom. We think about being constrained, and then when you don't have that constraint, you are actually free, like as if you are in prison. You know, when you are out of prison, then you are free. Uh, that is a very negative way of defining freedom, freedom from. But the positive aspect of freedom is always freedom for what, not from. Many years ago, G.K. Chesterton said, "True freedom." Uh, true freedom is uh, is not doing what you want. True freedom is doing what you ought. True freedom is not doing what you want, but true freedom is doing what you ought. Because if, if you keep doing what you want, it will lead to bondages. If you do what you ought to do, it will always bring freedom. So do what you want, it leads to bondages. Do what you ought. It will lead to freedom in Christ, and we're going to deal with this topic. Uh, the the fundamental part of the key verse. Let me just show you the key verse. Uh, I think in the Book of Galatians is chapter five, verse one. Chapter five, verse one. Paul is coming to the end of his argument, and he simply says, "It is for freedom that Christ has set us free." So please stand firm, and please do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Meaning to say that Christ has set us free. Why are you going back to slavery and be bondage again? Because there is a situation there which I will unpack. What actually is the issues there that led Paul down this path of saying that Christ has set you free? So hang on to your freedom. Don't return back to slavery, with all this yoke of slavery placed upon you. 
It deals with the heart of our salvation, our beliefs. If I were summarize one sentence in how are you saved, is this, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This is called the doctrine of justification. How are you justified? How are you being declared righteous by God? In what ways God can say, you are righteous now? How? Christian is saying, by faith in Christ, by believing in God's saving grace. By grace alone, through faith alone in Him, in Christ alone. Without this doctrine of justification, by faith alone, the gospel is not just merely compromise. It is completely lost. So if you don't believe in this fundamental doctrine, you're not just compromising. You are actually lost. The whole aspect of what Christianity is all about. Because justification by faith is actually the hinge, like a door hinge, you know? The hinge upon which the whole Christianity turns. Because right belief will lead to right behavior. Wrong belief Wrong behavior. So the right belief is very important. That is the heart of our salvation. How are you saved? How are you based on what God will declare you as righteous? Based on what? Based on your belief in Jesus Christ. And that is what uh, Paul is trying to argue in this passage, in this book. Martin Luther, the great reformer that moved up from Catholicism, Called a Protestant movement. What are you protesting anyway? What are you protesting? Why are you called Protestant? Protest against what? Protest against that it is not by work that you are saved. It is by grace through faith in Christ alone that you are saved. And Martin Luther said, every week I preach justification by faith to my people. Why? Because every week they forget it. Simply put, because our flesh is such that we naturally, in a default position, we are gravitated towards work. That is our sinful nature, gravitate towards work. Because the whole society will always tell you that there is no free lunch anywhere. Yeah? There is no free lunch. So Paul wrote this letter. <clears throat> Paul wrote this letter around about... Uh, his first, I mean, his first missionary, he planted this church during his first missionary journey. You can read that in Acts chapter 13 and 14. If you want to know church history, how church come into existence, then you read the book of Acts, because that is where the missionary begins. That is where Paul begins to bring the gospel to other parts of the world, to the Gentiles. Because he is apostle to the Gentiles, and Peter was apostle to the Jews. So he brought the gospel to the Gentiles. But you must understand that during that time, it's transition time. Huh? It's a transition time. From gospel to the Jews, now is going to to the Gentiles. Uh, from from old covenant now move to the new covenant because Christ has finally come, which the Old Testament had predicted all this time. Christ has already arrived, spent here, died on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, sent the Holy Spirit to the disciples, and the disciples go and preach the gospel. So it is a transition time. 
So a lot of things are not ironed out yet in that sense. And so Paul went for this missionary journey, planted the churches in Galatia. Galatia is a region, not a city. Uh, and there are few cities there that he planted churches, namely in Iconium, in Antioch, uh, in uh, Lystra, in Derby. Those You can read that in Acts 13 and 14. And then on his second journey, he also visited uh, Galatia, North Galatia, and third missionary he passed through as well. Total three missionary journey done by Paul. And the heart of the issue is this. Paul is arguing this. So the book of Galatians can be summarized up in this sentence here. Never surrender the liberty of our new life in Christ to the bondage of religious legalism. Never surrender the liberty of our new life in Christ to the bondage of religious legalism. You know, church institution or family, just like with each passing year, you add more things. It becomes very legalistic. Even as a church here, for example, you want to control the membership. Well, if you are a member, you need to do this, 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 this. You know, we, we all have this kind of thing that we can regulate to control in a sense. And sometimes Christianity has evolved, it can slide down that power just like Catholicism, you know. How did Catholicism after 1500 years become and, and Martin Luther has the want to break up from there in a sense? Why? Because he has evolved. Because he was, uh, uh, churches were persecuted in those times, in the early days, as we know in, in, in Gospel time, Paul was a persecutor, Peter was persecuted, and therefore most Christians convert, they were persecuted until a Roman emperor by the name of Constantine. He went out to war and he saw a lion. He became a Christian. He converted. So now, instead of facing persecution, now no more persecution because the Roman emperor is a Christian. Yeah? No more persecution. So now, they can gather to believe easily. No problem. No more persecution. Now, it's the reverse. Those who are non-believers, they fear that they will be persecuted by the new Converted Roman emperors. So what do they do? They converge. But their conversion may not be genuine. Their conversion is just political reason, you know, for whatever reasons. Just show that I won't have any backlash and all that. So over time, they bring their pagan practices into the church and then mix with the church and then evolve into something else that Martin Luther uh, selling of indulgences and all that kind of a doctrine that evolved that is not biblical, purgatory and all that would evolve. And therefore Martin Luther see the necessity to break out from this protesting movement that has evolved into work. So here Paul is writing to the Galatians because I'll tell you the situation there. He said, never surrender the liberty of our new life in Christ to the bondage of religious legalism. Why? Because when you become a Christian, when you believe in Jesus saving work on the cross, not by your work, you embrace this faith, you trust, you confess your sin, you repent, you believe in Jesus dying on the cross for you. And then you are born again, the Holy Spirit will come and reside in you. And then you found a new master, new owner, new boss to please. And then with that 
energizing, you express yourself in loving service to God by serving others. So that's the gist of conversion experience. You enter into by faith, you're energized by the Holy Spirit, and then you express your new Christian life in loving service to others, to God by serving others. J.I. Packer uh, said the truth is that though we were justified by faith alone, the faith that justifies is never alone. It always produces fruit, good works, a transformed life. So it is not work that saves you, is that when you are saved, you will produce good work out of your relationship with God. So that is what Christianity, how they reconcile between being saved and works. It is not works they say, it is by grace, but when you are truly saved, works will follow you uh, because you are a transformed being. So what is the problem in that part of the world? The problem is, when Paul planted the church, it is by grace alone you are saved, and then when he left, there are some Christians from the Jerusalem church went there. And then they profess to believe in Jesus, they profess to be Christians, they profess to have some connection with the main Jerusalem church. <clears throat> and they are returning to these churches that have been planted by Paul, churches full of Gentiles. And they said to this group of people, you know what? Believing in Jesus is not sufficient. You still need to be circumcised. Not only you need to be circumcised, you also need to obey and observe the Mosaic ceremonial laws. You keep those festivals and you still need to circumcise. Moreover, who is Paul? Who is Paul? He's not even one of the twelve apostles. Don't listen to him. And as a result, the message got back to Paul. And Paul has to, first and foremost, defend his authority as an apostle. He has to defend his authority. Why? Because the message comes from the authority he has. So the people were very smart. In order to ask them to, to don't listen to this message, is to doubt the authority. Yeah? If the messenger is fraud, then the message is fraud as well. So that is their argument. So, they want, so Paul has to, first and foremost, before he comes to arguing why you are saved by faith alone and not by works, he first and foremost, for two chapters, he has to establish his authority. You can trust me, I'm an apostle of Christ. Why I'm an apostle of Christ? He tells you that. And then three and four, he works it out. Why justification is by faith alone and not by works or plus works. No plus. Yeah, I have a lot of apps in plus, yeah? seven plus, Westfield plus, you know. But salvation, no plus. Salvation is by faith alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. No plus. The word is alone. Uh, so, so they, 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 that's what they do. They try to, so first two chapters, Paul defends his authority. The next two chapters, three and four, Paul is arguing why salvation is by grace and through faith and in Christ alone. And then five and six is then outward because there is this argument. If you are saved by grace alone and through faith alone, then does it mean that you can live whatever you want to live? Can you live whatever you want to live or you are saved by grace alone anyway? I don't think you will work on work. 
Paul said, no, no, you can't do that. That's where the fruit of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit, all comes in uh, in chapter 5 and 6. The Paul defends it, saying that, well, as what uh, J.I. Piker also says, not alone in a sense, because it always produces fruit, good works, a transforming life. So let me give you three points in this short uh, uh, text here from verses 1 to 10 that even has already read to us. Let me give you three points. First and foremost, uh, in verse, Paul wastes no time to quickly establish his authority because his message is under threat. And his message is under threat because he, his position is under threat. So verse 5, chapter 1 to 5, he exerts his authority. This is what he says. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Remember the story in Acts chapter 9 about conversion of Paul? I'm going to sometimes commit the sin of assumption, just assuming that you know. In Acts chapter 9, Paul's conversion on the Damascus road, the light came out and he was shown, he was blinded for three days. Uh, that was his conversion. And therefore, Paul is saying, I am an apostle. Yes, I may not be of the twelve. Yes, I may not be ordained or reverend or right reverend or canon or whatever. I may not be all this, but I am sent by, not but from men, not by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from because he God appeared to him. So, so, why are you persecuting me? So, he has to defend his authority. And then he said, and to all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Churches, again, I mentioned it's not a city, it's a, it's a region in Galatia. And therefore, it's many churches there. He was absolutely certain of God's calling of his life. And he affirmed that he was an apostle sent by God who raised Jesus from the dead. And he wasted no time. You know, Galatians is the only letters among Paul's 13 letters in the New Testament that has no greetings in the sense. No, uh, no greetings and he didn't ask for prayers as well. Because the issue is, is, is this letter is almost like a letter of rebuke to the churches. He said, he very quickly, he jumped in to explain the gospel, and then he will expand it. He said, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's grace, the word grace appears there as well. Grace and peace to you from our Lord, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God, of our God and Father, to whom may the glory forever and ever. Immediately after he established his authority, he quickly jumped into the message. What is this gospel message? He quickly wanted to get it up first. Who gave himself for our sins, who rescued us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. Paul loses no time in introducing the heart of is his message. It has to do with gifts. Gifts we have received, but have not earned, nor do we deserve. It is a gift. The gifts come out of the sheer undeserved, extravagant generosity of the ever-giving God. 
the unmerited, unmeasurable, unlimited, self-giving mercy of God. So this is grace. God's love expressed in Jesus Christ. This love gives and suffers and finally conquers and delivers. Love always suffers, right? Even your own love, whether in your married relationship with children, loves always involves sacrifice and always suffer. If there's no sacrifice involved in your love and, and, and suffer, then that is not love. Love, however you want to define love, the equation is here, include sacrifice and suffering. And so this is the heart of the gospel and Paul, Paul, Paul wasted no time to establish that is our heart of the gospel. Oswald Chambers, one of my favorite devotional authors, uh, he says this, he said, there is nothing attractive about the gospel to the natural person. The only person who finds the gospel attractive is the one who is convicted of sin. Now, you think about it. What is so attractive about Christianity? What is so attractive about the gospel which we call good news? What is so attractive? It is not attractive at all for people who actually are not convicted of sin. Because it's about forgiveness. It was about restoration. It's about you acknowledging, I starve up. I make things wrong, this and that. And then Jesus provides you a way. So, first point is Paul quickly exerts his authority. Because that is at stake. Secondly, Paul very quickly also expresses his anxiety because he was really, really, really concerned. He wasted no time in attacking the real issue because he doesn't want his efforts to be wasted. And this is the heart of the Christian doctrine that he has to quickly rescue it. And this is what he said. He said, I am absolutely astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and you are actually turning to a different gospel and then he quickly defined different gospel he said which is really no gospel at all you know I like how Paul is able to anticipate what people are thinking isn't it isn't it good that a conversation sometimes you can anticipate uh, what the person will what is the objection and then he quickly provide that answer to your unspoken objection in that sense which we all do in, in all our in our or our talking, you know, which is really no gospel at all, you see. You are so quickly turning to this different gospel, which is actually not, not good news, because it's not grace. So what good news is that? It is my work. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion, and they are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. The word pervert means to distort or to reverse. And the question then is, what are these people reversing? They are actually reversing the flow of biblical revelation. You know, if you look at Old Testament, New Testament, in case you're confused, Old Testament 39 books, New Testament 27 books, there is a flow of God's revelation to us. Flow. Because we, we, are, we are down here. We passed the stage of Jesus here. This is the start of Moses, maybe. 
So there is a flow of biblical revelation in these stages. Some scholars call it dispensationalism, if you are in that theological position. He had different dispensers in the sense, from law to grace, progresses. So now we are already here, Paul said, why are you wanting to pervert and reverse it back to Moses' time, giving law? There's a better way to achieve that. And that is through grace in relationship with God and your the way you live your life is far more superior than keeping the law. Law only, only 10 laws. I keep the 10 laws. But when you have relationship with God, you keep maybe 100 laws. Your motive is even purer. Not just only the external action. Paul is saying, why are you going back to keeping laws when you have a better way to achieve that? A more wholesome way that brings freedom to relationship with God. So there is this perversion of reversing back to the old covenant, reversing back rather than progressing the flow of biblical revelation. They were taking these young believers back to the law of Moses. They were reversing the gospel. They were leading the people in the wrong direction away from God. Instead of pushing, changing gear forward, you put in reverse gear. Thinking that it's racing gear, maybe. So ended up you bang into something else. So then the next question is, how has the gospel been perverted? How are they reversing it back? There are a few hints I'm going to give to you and we will unpack as time goes on. Firstly, it's justified by law. You're no longer justified by grace. You are not saved by grace. You are saved by your works or grace plus work. More accurately defined the situation. Paul said, not my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. Alright, Paul said, if you want to go back to by law you are saved, then you don't just circumcise, you have to obey every single law. You have to obey every single law. Can you imagine if I drive on Thompson Road, I speed 100 kilometers and the police stop me. And I said, you know what? I'm a very good citizen. I pay my taxes. I, I never, I never cheat on my taxes. You know, I pay my council fee. I do this. I do that. Uh, can those things cover up this particular speeding that I've done wrong? Cannot, right? You can do 100 right things. You only need to do one wrong thing to be punished. So Paul is saying basically that if you want to revert back to the law, then you keep everything. Everything, right from the motives and everything. I mean, who can achieve that? I declare to you, every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace then. You can go back to law. And not just only they twisted the gospel in the sense of justified by law, they begin to ask these people to observe certain festivals under Judaism. And this is what Paul said. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slave to those who by nature are not gods. 
But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Why? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. Oh, Pastor, I feel for you that somehow I have actually wasted my efforts on you. I spent so much time teaching you, and now you prefer to go back to observing law. And in some sense, observing law is easier, isn't it? Because you just need to, it's more measurable in a sense. Keep this five law, you're safe. Keep it, and then you think you're safe. And not only that, Paul also said, well, how has the gospel been twisted? Because he said, you know, when you accept Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in you, you're beginning to experience wonderful Christian life at the start. Work empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then now, you're wanting to return back to living out your Christian life by observing law. Now, this is what he said. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You receive the Spirit because you believe the message you heard from Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? You say, why? You have Holy Spirit empowering you to live your Christian life. Now you want to revert back to obeying the law to carry out your Christian life. Paul said, please don't do that. I tell you why don't do that. I have been there. I have done that. That's what Paul is saying. I have been there. I have done that. I have tried everything. And I tell you what, it will make you more arrogant, more legalistic. It doesn't change your being. It makes you proud. This is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. Sorry, it's a little bit small, a bit hard to see for some. I try to contain it into one slide. Because this is what Paul is using his credential to say, don't do that because I've been there, done that. And I know it doesn't bring freedom. It, it, it actually keeps you in bondages. Paul argued for two things. He said, my credential by birth. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the nation of Israel. I was from the tribe of Benjamin. Who was from the tribe of Benjamin? No. King Saul. Maybe, maybe his parents were so religious and named him after King Saul. Saul is also from the tribe of Benjamin and also the faithful tribe that did not uh, break away. Uh, Benjamin and Judah in the southern kingdom. Uh, and then he said, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, all right? I may be growing up in a Hellenistic culture, but I maintain my Jewish roots. I still speak Hebrew, just like Chinese. Huh? You grew up here, some of you don't speak Chinese, and people come to you and say, you're not really Chinese. Because you don't speak Chinese language. You know? uh, so he said, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. So, so his credential was by birth. And then he went on to establish his credential by works, not just only by birth, but by works. He said, concerning the law, I was a Pharisee. Concerning my zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. It's not just only 
intellectual knowledge. I actually was a Pharisee. I persecuted the church. I want to preserve the purity of Judaism. And therefore, any threat that comes against this religion, I'm going to squash it down. And then he said, concerning righteousness, which is in law, I was blameless. Blameless, not sinless. Blameless simply means to say that when he sinned, he go through the proper process of getting it right. So Paul said, I have been there, I have done that. So please don't go down this pathway again. So Paul not just quickly exert his authority, but he also expresses his anxiety of these people departing away from the truth of the gospel, which is no gospel at all, he's saying. That this gospel is salvation not by works, but by grace. That your salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So thirdly, Paul exposes his adversaries. Paul quickly exposed them. He, he waited, wasted no time at all to expose them. And then he says this, he said, Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. And then as if it is not sufficient, he repeats again, second time. Same thing. He said, as we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. I don't know of any places in the Bible that Paul actually pronounces a curse on someone. But Paul is saying that if there is such a person around who is preaching to you a gospel other than what you have delivered, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, let this person be cursed. I don't care whether this is a prophet or angel or whatever. Let this person be cursed. Anatomy. Curse. A curse. He was single-minded in pressing this point. And John Stott, in his commentary on Galatians, he, he mentioned about these two verses. He said, why Paul needs to repeat twice? He said, this is an unmistakable condemnation. And he said, there is no emotional outburst. The condemnation is repeated. Now, this is his word. He said, the apostle repeats it to show the Galatian that this was no excessive, exaggerated statement into which passion had hurried him, but his calmly formed and unalterable opinion. That's why he slowly said, let me tell you again, again. You know, have you done it before? Give me instruction. Beyond any doubt, last time when I worked in the hotel industry, they always say, when you implement any system, Make sure it is idiot proof. When you implement a system, you say, make sure even an idiot can understand that it will not be so many confusing views in that sense. So here, Paul is repeating slowly, saying if there is such a person around who is preaching to you the gospel other than the one that we have preached to you, let them be under God's curse. Let anyone who would 
pervert the gospel, water down the gospel, minimize the gospel, abuse the gospel, corrupt the gospel of God's grace, freely given, requiring no law, involving only a response of faith, this person is to be cursed. And that is why in chapter 5, verse 1, as I read to you the theme verse that I believe is Galatians' book, saying it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So Paul exerts his authority, Paul expresses his anxiety over the issues, and then Paul very quickly exposes his adversary. If there is such a person around, let this person be damned, in a sense, cursing on him, because it is at stake. The gospel is at stake. As I was just sitting there just now, when Pastor Kamai was doing communion, and I suddenly looked at my iPad. 4th of June today. I have 4th of June. That's a special day. It's my spiritual birthday. And I became Christian on 4th of June, 1983, exactly 40 years. I sat down there and said, how can I forget this special day? 40 years I've been a Christian. And I sat there, I said, 40 years I've never doubted the heart of the gospel. That it is by grace alone, through your faith and belief in Christ alone, in Christ alone. And then you are born again. The Holy Spirit come and reside on you. And the wonderful good works will flow out of your life. It is far better than keeping the law because it is not just modifying your external behaviors, it is really transforming your heart, your motives. And even no one is watching you do the right thing. You are not being controlled by an external environment. That is the gospel. It supersedes the law. Don't reverse back. It's by grace that you are saved. You are freed. And you live your life in honor of this God. I want to pay tribute to this man who died about three weeks ago, uh, Timothy Keller. Uh, he has been a great influence in my life. I read many of his books. And I have a short clip that I want to play to you, two and a half minutes. And uh, they put it on their website, I think. And he explained in two and a half minutes this beautiful gospel, which is what I just shared. And, uh, um, we're not saved by what we do but by what God has done completely and wholly and fully by what God has done and we do not contribute to salvation at all how could that be? the answer is when Jesus Christ came he came to live the life we should have lived and died to death we should die he lived the life, a perfect life. The only human being who ever lived a perfect life. And therefore earned God's blessing. But then at the end of his life, he went to the cross and took the curse that we deserve. 
He earned the blessing of a fully obedient human being. But then he took the curse and punishment of imperfect, disobedient human beings, which means that when you become a Christian, when you put your faith in him, all of your sins and what you deserve fall on him, but then all of his blessing, what he deserves, comes to you. And God treats you as if you've done everything that Jesus Christ has done. That's radical. Now, because we have this complete salvation, complete gift, all accomplished by him, we contribute nothing to it, and now we have received this, there's a freedom. First of all, we're free from any sense of condemnation. Romans 8, verse 1. Now there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do not fear ever coming into condemnation from God. And now we're also free, not just from condemnation, but from, you might say, compulsion. That is, we now want to obey God. We want to please Him. We no longer are obeying the law of God out of a sense of, just a sense of duty or a sense of being forced or compelled. Instead, we want to please the one who did this for us. We want to resemble the one who did this for us. Lord, I'm reminded of another quote by Timothy Keller. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dare to be. And yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dare hope. Our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Never, Lord, Help us to defer from this. Never allow us to be absorbed into reversing the flow of your revelation back to by work. If it is by grace we are saved, and from there good works will come out because we seek to honor our Savior. Thank you, Lord, for your saving grace. Thank you for saving us. I pray for anyone here who have never understood the gospel at all. I pray that today they will bow their heads, surrender their life to Jesus Christ, confess their sin in repentance, and then there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, and the new Holy Spirit will come and reside in them,